this day touches touches people and possibly has touched you in this room. Um, there's those who've served in the military that we know here, and uh, I know that some of them lost friends, um, good friends. So there might be some here who lost loved ones, and we want to make sure that in the midst of the yard sales and the barbecues that we don't lose sight of what this day should represent. Father, I'm grateful for men and women whose boldness and courage cause them to stand up for what's right, to defend. God, we know that Memorial Day is, is a day to honor the fallen. And Lord, it's not just in the military, but first responders, police officers, even firefighters, God, who put their life on the line to save others. God, thank you that you put in hearts that courage to run towards the fire instead of away from it. God, I also pray for us that we would have the same types of courage to defend the defenseless, to rescue those who need to be rescued in big ways and in small ways. God, we thank you for those who make the sacrifice. We pray that you would bless the family members who still mourn the loss of loved ones. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, there's really no great segue, so we're going to get into a time in the Word this morning. And as I was, I was thinking, well, how do you segue in Memorial Day? And, and I did realize that the, the man we're studying this morning and, all, and, and almost all the apostles gave their life. Jesus gave his life and the apostles, they gave their lives also for what they believed in. One of the greatest proofs that Christianity is, is real is the lives of the apostles who were connected to Jesus Christ, who walked with him, and the early church fathers in that first century, in the early second century, who risked their lives knowing that by standing up for Christ, for standing up for Christianity, they were putting their life on the line. See, because a lot of people, there's a lot of people who like to tell stories and to pass information that's incorrect. Just look at Facebook, right? There's a lot of people who, who don't mind spreading rumors and, and putting out false information to further their own political view or just to have fun with other people. But those same people, when pressed with death, whether that article is true, whether that rumor is true, most, most people, by and large, all people say, I was just kidding, it was not the truth, I was just playing a joke, or I was just doing whatever. All the apostles went to their death proclaiming the risen Christ. That right there should be proof, not just one, not just two, all the apostles less, minus John plus Paul and then all those who went after so many more martyrs for, for Christ 
who stuck their hope and life that Jesus Christ died and rose again and ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. So this morning as we're going into, we're starting a new study today in the book of Ephesians. And so today is going to be an overview of the whole chapter. And so, and there's a lot in there, and we'll just see, uh, but we, today we want to give uh, the, the purpose behind it and the writer um, as we do that. So we'll be in the book of Ephesians for a while. It's a great book. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Paul actually wrote this book while he was in prison in Rome. And so he was imprisoned a couple different times in different ways. And he wrote, wrote this um, letter to the, uh, the Ephesians in about 60 to 63 A.D. Uh, he had already been to Ephesus a couple of times before. He actually lived in Ephesus for about three years, um, establishing the church and preaching the gospel. And that was in, in uh, the, the early 50s, uh, maybe like 53, 54 uh, A.D. And then, uh, you know, eight years later, he's writing this letter back to the Ephesians. Um, and so we want to talk about uh, the purpose and all of these things that were happening at the time in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is a, is a wonderful, wonderful book. It's a little bit different than some of his other letters that he wrote. Uh, when you read it, and I encourage you to read it not just once a week, I'd encourage you to read it every day. Just read it every day this week. Um, if you read it, if you can't, you know, read it every day, which you can do it in about in about 20, 25 minutes. Um, purpose to read it a couple times each week. We'll be in here for a while, but you'll get a good understanding. Uh, and I'm not sure how long we're going to take. We may take up to six months to get through the book as God leads, because we're going to be some days talking about one verse, some days just talking about a principle that's found in there. And so. And there's a lot of things that are found in the book of Ephesians. My notes didn't print, so I have to use them right off my computer this morning. So, so, um, so Ephesus was a, was a place in Asia Minor, and a lot of your, your uh, Bibles might have a little map, but uh, let's see. Uh, so I'm going to go backwards on you. So if you've got Jerusalem up here, Asia, we have the Asia, Asia Minor is kind of up in this area. It's modern-day Turkey, basically. Ephesus was pretty close to the coast. And at the time, in the first century, Ephesus was a, a really big city. In fact, it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. Second largest, only second to, to Rome itself. About 250,000 people lived in Ephesus. And again, if you have a map, you'll see Ephesus and you see all these other little other places. Uh, you know, back over here, you got Colossae, which was the book of Colossians. You got Laodicea, all these different places. But Ephesus was a key city. In fact, over the centuries, Asia Minor uh, was in turmoil and was under a different rule from different people because it was the best way to get from the east to the west. And so if you wanted to conquer, you had to go right through Asia Minor. And so what, we're find, what you'll find in the book of, of Ephesians is that there is a lot of different uh, groups of people. There's a lot of ethnicities in the, in the town of Ephesus. Um, there are Jews there. There are also some Greek Christians, some Gentile Christians. Um, but there's uh, worshipers of Artemis, the great god Artemis, with, with the, the, the goddess uh, Diana, and there's a whole temple to her. Um, Ephesus was a place of a lot of money because it was a port city, and so there's people of influence there. Uh, you know, really, it's a very, very bustling city. It had a stadium for uh, events such as animals killing animals and people killing animals and animals killing people that held 25,000 people. 
So you think, okay, back in the modern, modern, you know, modern day big, big place, how about that 2,000 years ago they built a, a stadium that held 25,000 people where regularly they would come out and watch the gladiatorial type of events going on. So this was a, a big city, very important city. Uh, again, second largest in all of Rome. So, so with that, with the multi-ethnic um, background, there's going to be a lot of different people and a lot of ways that Paul tried to bring in Christ. Again, he spent three years preaching the gospel in Ephesus on his second missionary trip. On his first one, he went through briefly. Um, and then he went back and spent three more years establishing the church. Have we all heard of Timothy? The book of Timothy, the pastor Timothy, Timothy was pastor in Ephesus. That's where P Paul sent Timothy, was to pastor this group of churches. Also, another highlight that we need to understand is that years later in the book of Revelation, Ephesus is one of the churches that John writes to, to the church in Ephesus. And at that point, one of the things that, that he commends the church in Ephesus for was doctrinal integrity. They, they loved the word, they knew the word, but, but do you remember what, they, what, what in the John... Uh, had against the church in Ephesus, they'd lost their first love. They'd lost their first love. So the book of Ephesians, written a number of years before the book of Revelation, before they lost their first love, is a great book. It's got six chapters. And in the six chapters, uh, it's divided equally, uh, three chapters uh, into two sections with three chapters in each section. Okay, so the first three chapters is, uh, we could call it the theology of the book, if you will. He talks about mainly what he wants us to understand, and this is where we're going to spend a lot of time over the next six months, uh, and a lot of time we've already spent here at Christian Center learning about our place, our position in Christ. The first three chapters is all about theology, and a big part of that is about who we are in Christ and our position in Christ. The second three chapters, so the first one, uh, the part would be theology, um, and then the second, the second three chapters is practical. So the first one's position, and then the second three chapters is, is practice. How you're going to live your life for Christ out. There's a, there was a great, a great book, it's an, it's an older book, it's written in the 50s uh, by Watchman Nee. And, and it was called, some of you may have read it, it was called uh, Sit, Walk, Stand. Yeah, some of you heard that. Sit, Walk, Stand. Commentators still today uh, use that idea because the first three chapters is about our position in Christ. It's our seat. We are seated in Christ, with Christ in the heavenly realms. The next three chapters talk about walking, living for God in every area of our life. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, if you have the NIV or, or the, and the New King James, one version uses the word live. The other one uses the word walk, but in the Greek it's the same word. Often that happens in the New Testament. So when you're seeing the word walk, sometimes what they're trying to portray is your lifestyle. A couple weeks ago we talked about that. The word was peripateo. Not that it matters. It's just fun to show off Greek, right? Um, but it means to like walk everywhere. And so that's why sometimes they say live and sometimes they say walk. Because it's not just like walking in line. It's when you go out, walking everywhere that you walk, do it this way. In other words, live your life in a certain way. So the first three chapters help us to understand that we are positioned 
in Christ. And the second three chapters then say, and if we're in Christ, this is then how you should live. Uh, and one reason I believe we're supposed to go through the book of Ephesians right now is because in that, he gives some relationships in the second, uh, three, in the second section in chapter 5. He gives us some uh, relationships where we're supposed to live for Christ, and he talks about husbands and wives. And he talks about parents and children. talks about slaves and masters. And those relationships are all very similar because what he's trying to point a, a picture is the relationship between God and his church. God and his church. How God protects and loves his church and the church submits itself unto God but also honors God. And so there's this dual love and service and ministry that happens between God and his church, between husbands and wives, parents and children, and slaves and masters. So the second part of the, that, and then and the one I, I referenced Watchman Nee's book, Sit, Walk, Stand. The last part, Stand, is chapter 6, talks about the full armor of God. And the, we're going to talk in, in just a few minutes a little bit more about that. But one of the things that Ephesians brings out is that there's actually a battle that's happening in this world, and it's a spiritual battle. And chapter 6 talks about how we're supposed to stand against the attack of the enemy. And that message is so important for us today in the church because uh, society and culture, which is the enemy is behind it, is pushing on Christians, and they're wanting us to sit down and shut up. But we're supposed to stand in Christ stand for righteousness and understand that we, we're in a, a spiritual battle, not just a physical battle. Every time you get outraged, and I'm reminding myself of this, every time you get outraged when you read the news or watch something or you see a post, uh, because I just think so much is just ludicrous, the things that are happening in our society, it just makes absolute no sense, and I get so angry. I need to remind myself, and you need to remind yourself, that we live in a spiritual world with spiritual battles. And so the best place, the first best place, is to pray. And to, uh, we'll get to that in Ephesians chapter 6, to stand against the enemy as he draws a wonderful picture in chapter 6 about uh, the armor of God. And almost all the armor is, is defensive, but the, wor the sword of the Spirit is, is our offensive weapon, and that's the Word of God. So that's kind of a, kind of a, a brief little synopsis, but I want to go over some other things here in the book and point some things out. If you, if you like to take notes, this is going to be uh, definitely a, a, a note-taking one. I'm talking fast, uh, giving a flyby of some of the stuff that we're going to see in the book of Ephesians. Um, to get into the, uh, to the more messages, we're going to be talking about uh, themes you got to keep coming. And if you can't come, then at least go online and listen to the messages at BigRareChristianCenter.org. All of our sermons will be uploaded thanks to uh, Doug, who does that for us uh, weekly. Amen. So, um, so let me give you some, some key words because in any book when you're doing a study, uh, one of the things you might want to do is like look for the key words. And of course, you can just get a commentary uh, and they can tell you the key words, but it's also fun to begin to read a book and then read it again and read it again and then start, and then start looking. And wait a second, I heard this word a few times. And then you can go and look for, for that because uh, there'll be certain words that are used over and over again. I'm not talking about the or a. So, you know, we could say the key word in the book of Ephesians is the. Now, we're talking about some other words. Um, 
and talk a little bit about them this morning, just a little bit, kind of helping us understand uh, what, what's coming in this study in the book of Ephesians. The word grace is one of the key words in the book of Ephesians. It's, it's said 11 different times, the word grace, and it's talking about God's grace for us. It's, it's a uh, in fact, you know, some years ago, somebody came up with an acronym for grace. This is not a Greek thing. This is just a, a, an English acronym. But a, a wonderful way to remember what grace means is grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay? God's riches at Christ's expense. We have grace. We have the things that God wants to lavish upon us, and the only reason we receive those is not because we're so good-looking, is not because we're so talented, or we're so holy and righteous. It's because Christ died and allowed God's riches to come to us because of his sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time receiving things. Uh, it's, it's hard for me just to receive. And there are some people, I'm getting better at it, and, I, and, 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 I, and that's not a joke because I say a lot of jokes. I'm getting better at it because I understand that to receive a gift is a gift in itself. See, when somebody wants to do something for you or give you something and you receive it with a grateful heart and stop all the phony baloney and, you know, oh, no, no, no. You, when you actually just receive it, it's actually a gift back to the giver. So I'm learning how to receive. One of the things that happens when we receive, though, is we feel like we are less. If I receive something for you, then my flesh makes me feel like I must be needy. I don't want to be needy. That's why I don't want to receive a gift. If I receive a gift, I must, uh, I, I must be less than you because you have something to offer me. I, my flesh doesn't want me to feel that way. That's why there's a lot of people who don't like to receive gifts. All of you are already thinking of someone, and it might be yourself going, wow, is that, you know, because sometimes I try to help somebody and they just can never receive help. See, grace is all about God's blessings upon our life. We don't deserve them. He just wants to lavish them upon us. And so the, 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 the understanding of grace is uh, really important and it connects right to, to another word that you find in the book of Ephesians and it's riches. Riches. And God wants to bring his riches to us. And in fact, it talks about his grace and riches a number of times in the same chapter. Um, and uh, when it talks about the riches of God coming to us, there's six times it says that, and they're all in the first three chapters. And remember, the first three chapters are understanding our position in Christ. And, and before we walk, we, learned, we need to learn to sit. We need to learn to be in Christ before we go out and try to do anything for him. And we need to understand that the riches are of God and they're not from ourselves. They are for us, the riches of God. Another key word that we're going to find in this uh, book, in fact, um, in different versions, one, one version it says there's 30 times, I counted 22 in the NIV, and it's this combination of phrase of in him, or in Christ, in God, or in whom, okay? And, and it's so important to understand what that means, that all of, all of the riches of God, all of the grace of God is for those who are in him, 
in that we receive the goodness of God when we're in him. And that our power to walk for God in the second, second section comes because we are in him. Everything comes because we are in Christ, in God, in him. And that's that, that's that sit part. We need to understand we are seated in him. We need to understand that we can't do this for God, that, that he did something for us and he put us in him. And it's, it's, it, we're going to elaborate as we go through this time understanding all of that in a deeper way. My prayer is that, that as we go through the book of Ephesians and understand the theology of it, the position of it, that we will then live our lives from that position rather than trying to do it the other way around. I know a lot of people are frustrated in their Christianity, and I hear people say things like this, I, I kept trying this and it's not working. I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep doing. That's because we're probably doing it not from in him. We're trying to do it from ourselves and from our own strength. And I tell you, this journey of Christianity that we're all walking, this faith journey, is a big part of this is to understand that we have to die to ourselves. And we have to understand that Christ is our all in all and that he's done all the work for us. And then we live it out out of that place. And it's, and it's a hard lesson. Uh, there's going to be, some of you, it's going to be a hard journey and I just want to pray that you don't give up because the, the joy that will come understanding that and getting the, if, as they say, the, the horse before the cart is going to bring joy and life to your Christian experience instead of drudgery and pain and failure. And sometimes that's, that's what we experience when we're trying to do something for Christ. But we first understand that we are in Him. So that's, that's another a big key phrase, uh, especially in the first three chapters, we're understanding that we are in Him. Another one of the key phrases that's found in this book, and really uh, I don't believe in any other, other, other his letters, is the phrase heavenly places or high places. And so what we're going to learn a little bit about is the, the spiritual ramifications and the spiritual places, heavenly places. Um, I'm just going to read this one. It's a truly fascinating phrase that appears five glorious times in this letter and nowhere else in the New Testament. As we'll see in more detail later, and we will do that too, um, in the Greek, it's this, this wonderful, you know, entois eparanes, literally means in the heavenly, and it tells us some different things. First occurrence in chapter 1, verse 3 tells us this, the riches that the Christian has in Christ are in the heavenlies, Okay. The riches that the Christian has in Christ are in the heavenlies. The riches we claim are not earthly, they're heavenly. So, so picture the spiritual realm, the riches that we have are, are there in a sense. They're waiting for us. It's in a spiritual place. But get, let's go. The second occurrence, just a, a few chapter, a few verses later in verse 20, declares that Christ is now in the heavenlies. So our riches are in the heavenlies and Christ is is in the heavenlies, in the high places. Um, it says that both in chapter 1 and chapter 4. The third occurrence in chapter 2 says this, the Christian is also in the heavenlies. Oh. Christ 
entered into the heavenlies and he sits at the right hand of the Father. But in chapter 2 it says that we also are in the heavenlies. That means that we actually begin to experience the richness of Christ now. It's that, it's that double, double thing. It's that, that dichotomy. It's the kingdom of God. It's the riches of Christ are here and now, but not yet. They're for us now, but not fully realized until we're fully in heaven. Yet, we live with him in the heavenlies. The fourth time talks about the holy angels who dwell in the heavenlies. And the final occurrence is this in 6.12. It shows that there's also evil angels. Um, and they have access we, we, in the book of Job. I don't know if you have read the book of Job, but there's a place where it says when the angels went to present themselves before God, that Satan also went with them and presented himself before God. And so we believe actually the Bible teaches us that de- de- demons uh, have access to God and they go and the, and, and the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. That means I believe the devil goes before God and accuses us just as he accused Job and he has access. But he has no power that he has no power over us. The Bible says that we have power or, and authority over his power. Amen. So this is that's a wonderful time. Uh, we're going to learn about the, the heavenlies. That's another key word. We're going to learn, learn a little bit out in the book of Ephesians. Let's see here. It's too slow. Okay, uh, just, a, just, just two more ones that I want to talk about. Again, if you're taking notes, we'll be looking for these in your reading uh, this week. You're going to be looking and you say, oh, there's the word grace, and read the scriptures about it. Another word that you find, uh, three more words, is mystery. And uh, this is going to go into one of the other words that, that is another key word. But uh, Paul talks about the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. And the other word that's connected, I'll give that one right now, is unity or the word one. The word mystery appears six times. The word unity or appears twice. But the word one, and I don't mean like one another, specific one that leads to sound like unity 15 times. And let me explain this. A big part of Ephesians is helping us to understand the mystery of God, which is this. God came to make all people one. In the Old Testament, he revealed himself and he was the God of the Jews. But in the New Testament, we see that his hand goes out and he pulls in the Gentiles and he pulls in the other cultures. And the mystery of God is that from the very beginning, his plan was to bring all people together in unity under God. There's one God it says in, the, in Ephesians, there's one spirit, there's one baptism, there's one Lord of all. And his, the mystery is that God wants to bring us all under Christ to God. Now, now we need to hear this. This is not the same as Unitarian theology, thinking of other groups who just want to say everything is all good and everything leads to God. No, that's not the mystery of Ephesians. The mystery of Ephesians is that God wants to bring all peoples, not just the Jews, but all people to himself through Jesus. And that in him we become one. And he wants unity. He wants unity between all believers in Christ. He, no, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, Jews, Gentiles, black, white, Asian, Indian, Native American. All of us come together under Christ. And this is such an important understanding that he, he talks about this mystery six 
times because he's writing to the church at Ephesus who has Hittites living in it. The old Hittites, the Hittites were, were in Asia Minor. He's got all these cultures who had come in and conquered and then stayed, and then another group came in and conquered them and then stayed, and so it kind of looks like New York or Los Angeles. Just groups upon groups of people living there uh, together. And so Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians and to the, and to the surrounding uh, places. I'll talk about that in a moment. To help understand that it doesn't matter your background. Christ died for you. Christ died so that the people would come to faith in him and we're supposed to be one. Now, the church needs unity. The body of Christ needs unity. We need to come and be understand that we're all his children. Uh, we, we know that racism uh, is, is alive and well, and that prejudice is alive and well, and, and God wants to, for all people to come under the headship of Christ and to serve him. So that is a really big part of the book of Ephesians. Um, uh, the last word I want to give you, the last, what I thought was one of the key words, and I went and I read and I just looked at some of these words, and I, these are the ones that I picked out. Um, power. The last word is power. The, the word power appears eight times. And last week, if you want to hear a little message about power, go online, listen to last week's message about power. But God wants us to walk in power, but he also talks about his power in the book of Ephesians. And his power is never-ending. And all of his power is available to us through Jesus Christ. And that's important. I saw this thing on Facebook uh, either last night, uh, probably last night or the day before. Um, it, it, it taught, and I've heard it before, but it was a reminder. It, I'm going to get it wrong now. Now I'm thinking about it. It said, tell your mountain about your God. See, most of us, we go to prayer and we tell God about our mountain. Right? God, I have a mountain, and you need to do something about it. And this quote was really good because it says, tell your mountain about your God. Hey, mountain, you know what I have on my side? So, so the power of God is to break down and break through the mountains in your life. And, and looking around the room, I could make a pr probably a, 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 an educated guess. We all have a mountain. All of us have a mountain that we're fighting against, that we're trying to get over. And we need to begin to understand that the power of God is there for us to get over the mountain. And we need to stop whining to God about our mountain and start declaring to the mountain about our God. And saying, no, you know, we don't have to worry about that. God's going to take care of this mountain. In fact, the mountain needs to be afraid. Man, wouldn't that be nice? The mountain needs to be afraid. And if you, if Christ is in the heavenlies and you are seated in Christ in the heavenlies, the mountain should be afraid of Christ. The mountain should be afraid of you because you are in Christ. 
That, that should really begin to get us excited, and we can begin to walk this out. So those are some of the key words that we're going to discover in our time in the book of Ephesians. We're going to learn about His grace. We're going to learn about uh, the mysteries of God. We're going to learn about His power. Uh, we're going to learn about walking in unity. We're going to learn about walking and living in Him. Actually, I missed that one. Um, walking and living is a big part of this. So these are some of the things that we're going to be looking for to understand in a deeper way as we cruise through the book of Ephesians. I'm excited about that. I, I wanted to just start just start the book, and I thought, let's, give a, let's just spend some time getting us uh, some background information and, and understanding. Now, I've got to be careful not to keep going, otherwise it just won't stop. Thanks. Um, so... You know, I, so there's some other superfluous information. I'm not. I'm not going to go there. Just it's just it just kind of excess. We're gonna, we're going to talk about these things as we go. Now, I do want to talk about be, just some, some basics in the book real quick. Um, Paul wrote this, like I said, when he was in prison. He wrote four letters when he was uh, in prison. They're called the 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 prison letters, the prison epistles, and. I, I heard this one. I'm going to pass it on to you. This isn't mine. Um, it's kind of corny, but it's kind of funny. To remember which letters Paul wrote from prison, just got to remember Pepsi. <laughs> but, but it's P-E-P-C. Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Pepsi. He wrote the Pepsi epistles from prison. Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Now, if you go and, and you're reading uh, the Bible this week, um, which I hope you're reading the Bible every day, uh, if, you, if you don't want to just read Ephesians, if you read Colossians, you're going to find that Colossians is really, really similar to Ephesians. We believe he wrote them at the same, very similar timing. Some people say Ephesians was first. Some people say you get it other words. There's also uh, a teaching and, and thought out there that actually Paul didn't write Ephesians, even though it says it's from Paul. It was a, a guy using Paul's name. And there's a whole bunch of thoughts on that. And, you know, don't worry about that. Um, you know, but, but you might read something. Oh, did, did Paul really write this? We think that Paul wrote it's very, very similar to to Colossians, and um, actually, if you've read the book of uh, Philemon, Philemon is about the, the slave Onesimus who's going back to Philemon. Well, the same people are in Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, and what actually probably happened is he probably wrote all three letters at the same time and sent a guy named Tychicus to go deliver these letters at the same time, one to the Colossians, one to the Ephesians, and one to Philemon. And it's kind of fun. Why do we need to know all that? It helps, us, it helps us to understand and realize these were real letters written by somebody who was real and alive and traceable and that, that the, the doctrines that we have today, the theology we have today, has been mostly, uh, mainly formed by Paul's letters. That's why we're going to be spending time in this. And so if you want another book to read along with Ephesians this week, read Colossians. They work really well together and yet have some parts in Ephesians that they don't have in, in Colossians. Um, some people say, well, if that letter was for that group of people, does it apply to me? This is what's great about the book of Ephesians. Has anyone read any of the letters of Paul? You know, Galatians, Colossians, right? You know, in, in all of his letters, he always says, greet so-and-so and greet so-and-so and greet so-and-so. Ephesians doesn't have that. 
Here's why. Here's why, why we believe. Is, is that Ephesians was going to start in Ephesus. Well, there's 250,000 people in Ephesus. There's actually more than one house church probably in Ephesus, probably a lot. And this, but it was going to go to the, uh, the main house church there and then was going to be distributed among the people. If, if Paul were to be writing greetings, why not Ephesus? Because he lived there for three years. He knew everybody. But he doesn't because he wants this letter to be circulated among all the churches there so he doesn't use some of his greetings. And so if it was good enough for all the churches in Ephesus, it's good enough for all the churches in Big Bear. And this letter is for us that our very first place that he wants us to get is that we need to sit in him. We live in him and through him before we ever go out into the world. And that's what we're about to do. We're going to go out into the world right now. And so we're going to pray for us that as we go, we're already going to begin to help us understand and to, that we are in Christ and that we need to allow, uh, allow ourselves to rest in him before we try to do anything for him. Now, that said, when we leave here, I'm hoping that a lot of you stay and help us clean up this yard sale out here. Anthony is going to be making hot dogs for everyone, so lunch is provided, and we're going to be doing that, and, and if it, honestly, if we have a lot of people stay, it goes really, really fast. It's like a tornado of people that want to go watch the game or something. <laughs> but let's go back and, and, and pray that as we start this journey in the book of Ephesians, that, that our hearts and minds would be open and that we'd be uh, ready to receive all the riches of God's word through this letter to us here at Christian Center. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you gave us your word. That your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. As we start this journey through the book of Ephesians, there's so many riches there for us, for us to understand who we are in Christ and that there's riches in you. God, that you, you, you have a, a plan for our relationships with our, with our spouses, with our children, in our workplaces. God, I pray that you would help our hearts be open and our minds to be open to hear what the Spirit says as we go through the book of Ephesians. God, we're going to keep in the back of our mind that in this process, we don't want to leave our first love as the Ephesians did. They, they remembered the doctrine and they kept holy to the word, but they walked away from their first love. God, we want to keep you, our first love, at the primary spot in our lives. So God, as we go this week, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word and an understanding that the word would come alive and give us um, direction in our day-to-day -day life. God, we thank you for the practicality that's found in the book that we're going to see, God, and that you would cause each of us to be in you and then go into the world, into all of our relationships, and bring the riches of Christ to all of our friends, co-workers, and neighbors. Father, bless each and every one here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>